Hello and welcome to Million Dollar Monday. I'm your host, Greg Mazzello, bringing you real successful people with real useful advice for people with big dreams. I understand big dreams. I turned an investment of $200 and a lot of great advice from some really successful people into my big dream, Proforma, that today is a half billion dollar company. Well, hello and welcome. Uh, today I'm joined by somebody that actually has stumped me. And I'll, let me explain. I truly, though, I've been through her website and watched some of the videos. I still struggle a little bit to understand what she does, but what she does is fascinating. In fact, what she does got her name to the top 100 inspiring people in the pharmaceutical industry. That's a pretty tough thing to do. And she has some pretty unique and disruptive technologies for communication in that industry. She is the co-founder and CEO of a company called Impetus Digital. Please welcome Natalie Yeadon. Natalie, welcome. Thank you, Greg. I'm I'm so happy to be on the show. Yeah, well, we're happy to have you, even though I admit I tried to figure this all out. And so, no, I sort of get it at some level, but like, non-real-time, real-time, but we're going to get there. I know there's other words you guys have for that at your site, but anyhow, tell us a little bit. You own a very exciting and interested and award-winning organization. I think you've been doing this for 10 or 11 years now. Tell us, though, about your growing up years, you know, just a little bit about your youth and what led you mostly to want to someday own your own business. Well, you know, I was one of those kids that was really, you know, I really loved learning. I was, um, what the interesting thing about it is, I think that I was always kind of daydreaming. I was kind of out there. I remember my famous picture of my dad taking a photo of the family and I was the only one turned around eating an apple. You know, I I was, I was mesmerized by everything that was around us. So I think I kind of had a little bit of that interest in the world and what was going on. I was a very deep, I remember people always saying that you're really deep, Nat, you're really deep. I had a real philosophical edge to me and sort of like an inner wisdom. And I was just always uh, like to look at the world from an interesting place. Um, Having said all that, my parents are immigrants. Um, we didn't have a lot of money when uh, when we were younger, but my parents did their best. Yeah. Um, and so I was always kind of watching and learning other people in terms of their, uh, you know, everything from social norms to what how I was supposed to react, how was my humor supposed to go. So I was analyzing and learning all of this stuff from the people around me. Um, and I knew that for me to get beyond what I had, I had to do it myself. I didn't have anybody else to help me to do that financially. So um, all of this to say is I always did very well. I was very science oriented. I, um, I did a lot of work in that space. I went to University of Toronto. Um, after that, I actually attended the School of Radiation Therapy. I knew that I wanted to go into the, the world of medicine. So um, I, what I actually ended up doing is I was very lucky when I was in the, when I was a radiation therapist, I was selected to be part of this re-engineering committee. Deloitte and Touche was doing some work And I got pulled out of my day-to-day treating cancer patients, toiling away in the basement in my uniform and doing this. And it was my first foray into something that was kind of business oriented. And I felt kind of important and I was pulled out to do something that was kind of interesting. So after joining Toastmasters, I suddenly got attracted to this idea of going into pharma. 
But I actually, this was back before the day of the internet. So I was actually cold calling during my breaks and at lunch, whenever I could get to a landline to start phoning around, asking if I could get a job in the pharmaceutical industry. And I remember finally getting these interviews and jumping, you know, getting changed out of my uniform in the bathroom after work and trying to get over it. This was before I had a car and all sorts of things. Anyway, I remember getting somebody telling me, oh, you'll never get into the pharma. There's so many people who are unemployed right now. Um, you're you're going to be competing against these really experienced people. Long story short, I finally made it into the pharma industry with the, the sure. company back then, yeah. which was called BioVel Pharma. It was actually a startup at the time. Okay. And I remember how excited I was that I got in. It was such like it was a pivotal thing for me to have put my foot in and gone against something that it was sort of like my four minute mile. So before the first person was able to run the mile in four minutes or less, it was basically impossible to do that before. Right. right. So that was my four minute mile. I've made it into this thing. And I was so excited by having a car and my own time. Yeah. Spencer report and all this sort of stuff. Your Roger Bannister moment. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. All right. So um, that's kind of where it started. I got into the pharma industry and, you know, you know, made, you know, spent many years or over 18 years, actually, through sales, marketing, business development. I've worked in a series of different companies, lived in Canada and the U.S. and otherwise. And so that kind of got me into the whole area. It's a whole other world in the pharmaceutical industry, of, you know, compliance and legislation and working with physicians and a different kind of selling. It's more influence selling. Um, and, you know, and that kind of set the stage, if you will, for me moving into my entrepreneurial stage. Okay. What was the problem? So usually, usually an entrepreneur at the end of the day finds a problem that needs a solution. So wonderful story, by the way, uh, you're the first with as many twists and turns. Uh, and in fact, most of my guests are, they were terrible students in grade school. So you've got a <laughs> wonderful mix of a lot of great things going on, but what was the essence of the problem or the solution that created a business plan and model? Yeah. When one of the key things that happens or one of the key strategies is that you're constantly working with various stakeholders in the pharmaceutical industry to gather ideas, insights to determine if your, your tactics are the proper thing. Are you communicating to patients in the right way and a whole series of other things. Now, what's interesting about the pharmaceutical industry is unlike selling cars or, you know, like Tesla's or like t-shirts, this is not a direct sale. I'm not selling drugs directly to patients, unlike consumer, like over the counters. Okay, right? yeah, yeah, right, This right. is actually going through an intermediary, right? You're having to go through a physician or a nurse practitioner these days or other people. So it's an indirect sale. You have to influence other people who, who are going to tell you or you know, or, or going to see that right patient. So right, it's, right, a right. Very, it's a very convoluted way to get information across to people. So we oftentimes did things called advisory boards. Lots of people have them. It's not so much a board of directors who have fiduciary responsibilities. Okay. These are basically stakeholders, oftentimes are customers, physicians, patients, allied healthcare providers, payers um, around a table to talk with the pharmaceutical company about their brands, their drugs, their strategies, their reimbursement issues, the regulatory challenges. And they oftentimes have this in what I call IRL, in real time, or IR, uh, in real life. So that's a term now because everything is virtual. 
Right, right. So yeah. pharma companies would fly people, you know, across the world and bring them all together. It would oftentimes be in association with a conference. They were expensive flights, meals, hotels. And because of that, you would actually congregate these people in a meeting, probably for an entire day, because it was expensive getting them there. And unfortunately, those agendas were chock full of stuff. Everybody wanted to get in front of these people. I, you know, somebody from global had this presentation and we needed to ask about this and market access and all and regulatory needed to speak to them. So these agendas were like oh, throwing us stuff to the wall and hope something sticks type of thing. So were they, if I can just try to understand, were they on the, at the end of the day for the pharmaceutical company to hear from doctors, patients, other influencers, what's important, how to sell the product, how to improve the product. Is that what was going on? And so rather than having these focus groups, it sounds like a focus group to me or advisory group as you're calling them, rather than have them all fly in and have all that expense, the idea was to, at the end of the day, do this sort of virtually, which is something we're all kind of used to now with Zoom, which is how you and I are talking, but to have very expensive focus groups or, or advisory group meetings seeking advice to do them virtually. Is that kind of what yeah, this so, was? Yeah, absolutely. So okay. what I was actually really just saying is that when we were doing this in real life, these were very um, difficult. They were chock full, throwing enough stuff to the wall, expensive, et cetera. Now, that exactly is what the problem is, is that we would go to these meetings thinking that we were doing all kinds of great things. We never really were able to follow up from those meetings. I was jumping on another plane. People were getting busy. And so we said, there's got to be a better way to connect with these people on a continuous basis. So that was actually the onus behind it. And we thought the best way to do that was using technology. So give me an example. Is that kind of like where I record something and then I email it to somebody, then they record their answer back? What is what does that mean? And give, a, give me an example, please. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what we've done at Impetus is we have actually built a series of really interesting tools. Mm -hmm. Now, let's just say, for example, in a typical in real life meeting, you're used to a lot of people are used to writing things on whiteboards or chalkboards or, you know, easels and having those conversations. One of the things that happened at COVID is people kind of were at a loss for how do I communicate to my team? How do I communicate with my customers? I'm used to having all these tools. So at Impetus, we actually built these tools online. We have everything from survey tools, discussion forum tools, annotator tools, um, idea mapping tools. So we've now enabled anybody who even they're not very technologically savvy, super easy tools to use to work with customers and internal clients and internal stakeholders to get work done, to have discussions. So when you started the company, you had this idea um, did you go raise money? I mean, how do you, how did you go from I've got this idea to like starting this company? So, Greg, this is going to also probably be a bit unusual because most people, as you know, raise money. <laughs> why? <laughs> so why I just am I not surprised? An anomaly for you, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, um, again, having my business partner Jenna Smith and I, we both had over eighteen years' experience in the industry. Fairly, you know, highly credible. We have a lot of contacts. Um, we were able to win a large pharma client right from the get-go, um, which basically put us in the black from the from initiation. Okay. And we became kind of enterprise-wide. It was a very visionary company that- But wait a minute. But wait, but wait a minute. Okay. So you have an idea, but you have no technology. So help me out again. So did you go to some pharma company and they said, man, that's a really great idea if we could do this the way you're talking about instead of flying all these people in? And did they help 
invest in developing the technology. Again, though, I, I get it, but but it sounds like this technology is a little expensive and might have required some development. But did you have a pharma company that liked the idea so much they helped invest in it? Or, or how did you get the um, resource, the digital resources together to serve that client? At the time, we initially were almost renting somebody else's platform. So we almost came at it as administrators of a technology that nobody knew how to use. Okay. From that platform, we do what I call a patchwork quilt version of patchworking a whole bunch of things into a solution that we eventually built. Uh, Now, what we ended up doing after about three to four years of that is we scrapped it because as you can probably imagine, renting from somebody else, they would never be able to build something as customized as we wanted. We actually completely built our own proprietary software. So we actually rented somebody else's software that we actually leveraged and we completely bootstrapped the company. So let's, and I love that. I'm a bootstrapper. And I think a lot of these kids in college today, they don't even learn that anymore. They sort of learn in entrepreneur school, how to do pitches and all of that stuff leading up to raising money. And I I think good gravy, you know, let's not be in such a hurry to cut the pie sometimes. So you had, you found somebody had the technology but they didn't understand its application in the pharmaceutical industry. So you knew of this technology, you knew how it could maybe be manipulated and maybe even engineered such that you could rent it from them, but solve this problem that you saw in collaboration and communication in the pharmaceutical industry. And so you were able to bootstrap things. And then eventually as the organization grew, you were able to invest your own money in developing your own technology. Is that kind of the short story? 100%. Okay. So then you continued to add more services and layers of services. Did you ever raise money or you've never had to raise money? We never had to raise money. That's a nice thing to be able to say. And how would, what is the size of your company today, either with whatever you're comfortable talking about, whether it's users or interactions or dollars or whatever? Yeah, so we've actually been around, believe it or not, for about 13 years. So we grew very strategically. Again, bootstrapped, you have to keep reinvesting in the company. And so we grew slowly but surely. But I will tell you, COVID was an interesting year for all technology companies and certainly so for Impetus Digital. Um, Our company literally grew 166%. Our team grew 150%. Um, There was an inflection point. Suddenly, everybody had to go from IRL into virtual. And we had the perfect solution for all pharma companies. There is a moratorium in all meetings. So we grew exponentially and we've continued to do so. So um, we, you know, our company is actually very robust. We have international clients and actually have, we actually did have all of this, by the way, even before COVID. COVID was just a, what I would call an accelerant of adoption and something that was very unique that we built in a very super niche. So that's kind of where we're at. Gotcha. How many clients worldwide? Um, I would have to say that we've got at least 50 clients. Now, the thing that's interesting when I say the word clients, we actually work with large pharma companies. So we're very, very proud of that. For a company our size, it's extremely difficult to go through what you call the due diligence process, the regulatory, the IT risk assessment. It is no feat. The people that we hired our company are absolutely players. Well, congratulations on on a very cool story. Congratulations on really seeing two things, seeing a need in the market and seeing somebody else with a solution that they didn't really understand 
solved a, pro a different problem. And, and, and then being able to put all that together and then build your own business. So I looked at this technology. I've been studying your company a little bit. And I find myself wondering, are there applications in industries outside of pharmaceuticals that also could benefit from this? Or is pharmaceutical industry so unique that, that this product really needs to stay there? Craig, it's such a fantastic question. We've after asked ourselves this many times and anybody who does understand, if you ever saw visually how our platform works, it's mind blowing uh, what we have created. We're asked that oftentimes, why can't this be used in other verticals? The finance right. industry is highly right. regulated, et cetera. We have actually strategically decided to stay within life sciences. We have a very, very uber niche. Um, I believe that we're in an economy of what we call the tall, long tail, meaning there's lots of there's a lot of people out there selling very little. So when you talk about Uber niches like this, that we have a very large market share because of that. I would rather that we own that space, limit and manage instead of boiling the ocean and trying, you know, because again, there's only so many limited sales and marketing dollars. Going for what we know and understanding that although we have 50 clients or so, within those are multiple brands, multiple teams, sure. medical, right, yeah, marketing, yeah. market access. Oh, yeah, yeah, so yeah. the 10 times strategy exists right there in our Uber niche. What did you call that long tail? I didn't get that. Yeah, part. I want to make the, sure I understand. Here, yeah. yeah, it's just that we, we live in a world or an economy of niche, of niche branding and niche marketing. So there's a lot of noise. So you're starting to see everybody getting into the gig economy. Everybody's taking a piece. Now, what's interesting about that when you talk about the long tail is it's very, very busy. And there's a lot of things that are being sold there, but what's happening is people are selling less, but what they're selling less to is their niche audiences. So I still believe that you can do very, very well in this kind of economy, but you do need to actually make sure that you, you excel or get as high a market share as you can in your niche, which is what we, what our strategy is. I read, and I think this is very admirable about how socially conscious your company is and some of your goals around that. Absolutely. Um, we are, we have a lot of going on there. In fact, um, we actually received one of the top five sustainable business awards by the Green Business Bureau. We have a green team internally. We plant trees, <laughs> um, I saw that. Yeah, all yeah. kinds of things for, for, you know, and that's, we have, you know, an entire culture around, around that piece. And I just really feel fundamentally, Greg, that in the future, the traditional uh, ways that we have been measuring success with companies, which is a typical PL, looking at the top and bottom lines, kind of the baselines, certainly that will always remain and be important. Yeah, yeah. But as we start moving into a world of, you know, this is a whole other topic with cryptocurrency, NFTs, getting into places like DAOs, decentralized autonomous organizations, looking at, at things in a very, very different way is we're going to have to start looking at things with different types of metrics in the future. There's no doubt. Especially because, and I'm learning this myself, the younger employees uh, that are coming into the marketplace, the younger suppliers that are coming into the marketplace, and the younger um, customers that are in the marketplace have a very different value set. And a lot of their value set isn't just around money and the bottom line. It's also just around making the world a better place uh, in a socially conscious way. So. Good for you for seeing that. Good for you. And congratulations on all the awards you've won. Thank you very much for sharing how you bootstrap something into something that's so amazing. And most of all, let me thank you for your time and sharing your great story. I appreciate you. Thank you so much, Greg. It was really great speaking with you today.